Hello and welcome to the We Need to Talk About Whiteness podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Francois, and for those joining us for the first time, welcome. This is a space where we explore the meaning of whiteness as the term is used in conversations around race and racism and as it pertains to different areas of our lives. Why whiteness? Well, very simply, because someone, as someone who's racialized as white myself, I want to explore the meaning and impact of white racial identity at our current juncture. Now, usually here on the podcast, we focus on Britain, but in this very special episode, we will be exploring the meaning of whiteness in France, which is where my next guest is from. A former colonial power, France is today home to the largest Muslim population in Europe, or to put it differently, is today a country where French Muslims represent an estimated 8% of the population. We don't know the exact number of ethnic minorities in France because the collection of data around religion or ethnicity is forbidden in the name of universalism, the notion of a colorblind republic. But we do know that whatever the figure, Muslims in particular are overrepresented as objects, rarely subjects of public debates. Despite being a short train ride away from London where I'm recording this, race relations in France are drastically different without necessarily branding one better or worse. In France, the second largest party in the polls is the far right party of Marine Le Pen. Polemicists like Eric Zemmour, who believes the former French wartime leader, General Pétain, who collaborated with the Nazis, wasn't such a bad guy, quote unquote, is a daily fixture on mainstream news analysis, predicting civil war and decrying unassimilated minorities. To be black or Arab means being 20 times more likely to experience a police stop and search. The former justice minister, Christiane Taubira, who is black, was depicted in the press as a banana-munching monkey, while upsetting images of the revered figure to Muslims of Prophet Muhammad, depicted with a turban bomb on his head, have been used as part of educational materials in schools. My next guest has been accused of inciting terrorism for simply stating that she doesn't agree with the publication of inflammatory cartoons by Charlie Hebdo magazine, whilst simultaneously condemning the terrorist attacks it has been the victim of. It would appear that the space for nuance in public debates in France is shrinking fast. The question is, why? My guest today is the internationally acclaimed French journalist, writer, and award-winning filmmaker, Roqueya Diallo. In 2018, her podcast, Kif Taras, which is a wordplay described... Uh, describing Joy, was ranked amongst the best Apple podcasts. And her latest documentary, Acting While Black, Black, Blackness on French Screens, critically questions the place given to black actors and actresses. She's the author of several books, including Racism, A Guide, published in 2011, Anou la France, or France's Hours, in 2012, followed by Paris d'Amis, roughly translated as Friends Bet, Afro, and finally, how to speak to kids about laïcité. Her most recent book, Don't Stay in Your Place, How to Succeed Without Sticking to the Plan, and France, Either You Love It or You Shut It, were published last year. Her latest graphic novel, Don't Mansplain Me, addresses the issue of gender in the public space. And for those of you who'd like to follow her work on Twitter, her account has been ranked by Elle magazine as among the 100 most influential Rokeya Diallo, welcome. Bienvenue. Merci. Thank you. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. So first off, a little about you. How did you become a writer, journalist, filmmaker? How did you get into this industry? 
Um, actually, I started um, first being interested in issues re related to race. I founded uh, an anti-racist organization in 2006, which name was Les Indivisibles. So the name refers to the French constitutions, which, which says that the French Republic is indivisible. And we wanted to tackle racism that was spread in the media, especially in the TV debates. And with that organization, we created a, um, a ceremony, which was a, a parody of the Academy Awards. And the name of the ceremony was um, uh, Les Yabon Awards, which refers to a very offensive uh, advertisement of a of a of a French label, um, which name is Banania, and um, and the, the purpose of the ceremony was to award the worst racist uh, sentences statements uh, authored by public personalities. So it was at the same time very funny, but at the same time it was a way to to display structural racism that was uh, out there in the in the media. And from that point, I started to write columns for different media,s and I was noticed by a TV channel. And I became uh, a TV columnist for Canal Plus, uh, which is a French TV for a morning show. And from that point, I started to, to work more and more uh, uh, on TV. I became a journalist. I work also uh, on radio and was mostly covering social issues. And from that, I, well, I actually, it, it, it happened at the same time. I was taking back to a debate and a philosopher, which name is Vincent Cespedes, who was also a publisher, Request me to requested me to write a book about racism, and it started like that. And from that point, I became more and more vocal and visible in the French public debate on gender and race, and that's how everything happened. Oh wow! So, so how was it um, growing up in France uh, for you, and, and how did you perceive whiteness in France? Actually, I grew up uh, in Paris. I was born in Paris and I grew up in Paris in the Northeast, which is uh, quite, which was at that time um, a poor neighborhood with many immigrants for, from North Africa and from um, also from Asia. And it's still, uh, you know, there is still a large Jewish community. So it was very diverse. And my family is from Senegal. So they came uh, to France in the 70s. And, and, and so my brother and I were born here afterwards. And as a kid, as a child, I didn't really realize that that whiteness had a meaning because there were so many children from different backgrounds around me that it wasn't really an issue or a question. So I rather understood whiteness as being a norm, a kind of implicit norm. And, you know, I grew up in the 80s. So, you know, I watched we in my family, we watched TV a lot and I could understand whiteness in 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 in, in the moments where I saw, you know, black people on screen. So there were very few of them and most of them were very were, were ridiculed. And I understood that it wasn't actually normal to be a person of color and in the screen at the same time and if you and if you were showed in a screen that would mean that you would be you know somehow ridiculed and not being the norm and and how different do you think um it is for black people in france today compared to when you were growing up i mean how how would you describe the evolution uh, in that period? Because I think a lot of people might say, well, there's still quite a lot of 
um, you know, uh, platforms used to uh, denigrate, humiliate um, people. And in fact, I wonder whether whether this joins your most recent documentary looking at the depictions of black actors and actresses at all on screen. So there has been an evolution. It's still far from being perfect, but there has been an evolution when I was younger. Um, most of the population didn't understand that you could be French and black at the same time. It's still a challenge today, but I got so many times the question, where are you from? Implying that you were from some other place and it still happens. But we we now have, you know, public figures who are black and French at the same time, who have been in governments, who have been, you know, awarded for being, you know, actors or whatever. So it's it has changed. You have public figures, black public figures now that you didn't have before. And some of them have been, uh, you know, in the government. I was just thinking about Christiane Taubira, who was the Minister of Justice. But being the Minister of Justice, of Justice she's faced so much racism, like insane forms of racism, uh, you know, implying very uh, old colonial stereotypes. Uh, so it means that the difference now is that you can be public and black at the same time, but you will face much racism, which was not possible uh, in the same way before, because, you know, there were not that many people visible. I recently interviewed uh, Sonia Roland, who was uh, Miss France um, in in 2000? Actually, in two, uh, yeah, in yeah, she was elected in 1999, and um, she was the first uh, Miss France who who had an African background. So she was not the first black, but the first one who was not, you know, because there was one before, but she was from Martinique, which is in the Caribbean. But she's, you know, Sonia Roland was born and raised in in Rwanda. So she told me how, you know, she had she 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 received so much, so many insults, so many, you know, letters of, you know, implying that she was not really French. So there is, so it was it was twenty years ago. So it has changed. There have been several um, Miss France from African background after her. But still, still, it's still difficult. And um, the difference, I would say, is that there is a more interesting debate, public debate on racism today. And the fact that I do exist in the French public sphere means that there is a change because, you know, I didn't have a, you know, a black journalist uh, speaking, you know, up about racism on TV when I was younger. It didn't exist. Mm, yeah, yeah, I see that. And so, do you think that French identity is still perceived as synonymous with white racial identity for many French people still today? Yeah, I think it's still the case. Like, um, because you you still get that question, where are you really from? And there is this idea of France being only on on you know in Europe, and France has you know used to be a and we can say still is, but used to be a colonial colonial powers. Mm -hmm. And it's the only country, one of the only countries, one of the few, I think it's the only one who transformed the, the former colonies into departments. So that now France is the only country that is present on four continents. So there are French departments in the Caribbean, in the Indian Ocean, in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, the only European, the only territory which is controlled by Europe in southern um, in in South America, is uh, the French Guiana. So it means that uh, you know we have a conception of ourselves very centered in Europe, but we have 
in the French communities, people who used to, who are the descent of colonized uh, population who now are French, but are not even considered. They're not seen, they're not, you know, they're not covered. What happens in, in Guyana, in Martinique, or in uh, the uh, Reunion Island isn't covered by the news. And, you know, in those territories, most of the people are people of color. So they can be black, they can be from native uh, uh, native um, prime prime nations uh, of the of the Americas or from Indian descent, uh, but they are not really seen as being part of the French na nation, and it's very difficult because they have been colonized before. Now there are departments, but the treatment that they get from the French state is not really fair. It's still uh, unequal. Mm. And I suppose that therefore that would be a very distinctive aspect of French whiteness um, in that, you know, I guess it isn't distinct for colonial powers to be global powers, but it's distinctive that France continues to be uh, a nation that actually, uh, as you say, is present um, across the world in many ways. Um, and yet at the same time, um, there seems to be, a, 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 could you, would you agree with the word obsession with the word, with immigration in France? Um, and the, the, the idea that immigration poses uh, some kind of a, a significant existential challenge uh, to France, whilst at the same time, in many ways, confusing uh, people who are French born and raised and fully French, but who are not white with immigrants. Um, do you think this is a symptom of whiteness in the French context? Yes, I think that there is a confusion between whiteness and Frenchness, and there is an obsession about the French identity and what what people label the French identity. So there is the the idea of um, um, Frenchness, which implies that in order to be French, you need to assimilate and to assimilate to the model that people that you know the collective imagination have about about French in mind so which is someone white someone Christian and if you uh, visibly display signs that uh, you know can remind um, a link with another country with a minority religion you are not truly French you are challenging challenging the French identity they used to be here in France uh, when Nicolas Sarkozy was the president uh, minister minister of uh, immigration and of French identity, which is like incredible, like having the idea that a minister is in charge of controlling the immigration and making sure, sure that the French identity is okay. It just, it, it just, you know, shows how French is obsessed with the, the idea of the purity of the French identity. And even uh, the idea that we have of the French identity is a construction. It's not something that is real. They mm. have like kind of recreated a, a mythology of what, what according to them used to be the French identity. So it used to be according to them a monolith, but it's not true. It's not true at all. Uh, your French has been, has been, um, constituted by erasing the local identities like uh, the French language has been imposed to several minority linguistic minorities uh, in the French mainland and and it was it was conceived by force it was not something natural and there was not like some you know a peaceful French identity before uh, the times when uh, the, the immigrants came from the former colonies it's very different and as you said very very uh, very precisely there is a confusion between people who are not french and people who are french but with uh, you know a background from asia or africa and who are visibly uh, who are visibly not white 
and there is this idea that you you know you need to to I don't I don't even know to uh, to how can I say that to plea allegiance do you say that yeah yeah pledge allegiance yeah, yeah. Pledge, yeah. pledge allegiance yeah. to to France ever since you speak like me um I can tell that as a public figure I constantly get the the suspicion about not loving my country like mm-hmm. I, I because because I I demand to my country to just to fit with principle um I'm seen as being unfrench and and as as defying uh the, my country but people say that as if it was not my country because you know yeah. we're the country of the revolution and people constantly uh go to on strike go to demonstrate in the street is something that is really part of our culture but if a group that is mainly perceived as white go in the street to uh, demand for justice or for whatever they're not seen as challenging you know as 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 not being french or as as not uh, as uh, not loving the country but as as soon as someone not uh, white says something negative about france uh, they are reminded of the fact that they are not white and in the in the way they are um, you know, people would say, "Oh, if you don't like French, maybe you should go elsewhere." Or mm-hmm. you hate French, or you and 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 it and it goes to you hate white people, and mm-hmm. because people see when when people say, to, I, ha- "I have I have heard that you hate the French," and I ask, "Who are the French? Do, do yeah. you think that I'm part of the French myself? So how can I hate myself?" It's, yeah, it's, it's it's curious. It's very it's very it's it's really. Yeah, it's it's a way of, of you know, um, how can I say that? It's a way of, um, how, how would you say, rappel à l'ordre? Yeah, calling calling you to order or call, putting you back in your place. It's actually putting exactly. you in your place. Yeah, exactly. that's what it is. Yeah. You know, it's we so... Yeah. your place, exactly. Yeah, and it's interesting uh, to hear you uh, describe this because... I uh, was not as acutely aware, I mean, I was aware on a, in a secondhand uh, p- capacity, but when I wore a headscarf uh, more consistently for most of my adult life, and I would uh, go to France, and I, you know, I'm ethnically European, right, I'm half French, half Irish, I would always be asked, you know, where are you from? And if I was critical, very much like what you said, it was as if somehow I needed to justify or just be grateful that I was in France. And the interesting thing was, this had never happened to me before there was a question mark over my ethnicity because of my religious identity. And for me, as a French person in that situation, I was like, I'm sorry, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Who are you to to ask me if I'm French enough? I'm sorry, what? (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, it's like that's exactly what's happening constantly. I mean, I, you know, I've watched many public debates where people try and do this to you. And it's it's a real um, it, I think it's a very distinctive aspect um, of the French policing of uh, identity. I wonder how much you think this is related to the far right. And I ask because many people, when we talk about racism in France, often like to cite the influence of Marine Le Pen, of the National Front Party, which has reimagined itself today as some kind of pseudo-mainstream party. But I also have some suspicion that maybe it's not just the far right. What what do you think is behind this particularly um, staunch 
a vision of whiteness when it comes to French identity? I think that uh, French racism and French white supremacy don't really need the far right to exist <laughs> and, and to spread itself. Um, what I can say is that most of the debate that were uh, started lately, uh, especially on Islam, were started by the left um, and also by the right, but not really by the far right because they have not been in power and uh, like I, I can for, for example um, just remember that there was a controversy uh, uh, a couple of years ago there was uh, a young student um, a student who was a, a union leader her name is uh, Mariam Pouchtou she was interviewed uh, on TV about uh, a social movement among the the, the students uh, who were opposing uh, reforms from the government, uh, you know, by the university. And she happened to wear hijab. So she was interviewed about, uh, you know, her her role as a, as a union leader. And someone, uh, you know, a, a, um, a, uh, an academic, who is an, an academic, posted her uh, picture on his social media. And from that point, she has been cyberbullied. And there has been a national debate about uh, you know, whether uh, a student uh, union should accept to have uh, that woman, uh, young woman, she was only 19, uh, to be their leader or not. And all the debate was focused on the fact that she was wearing a hijab. There was nothing about, you know, what she was standing for, what she was, you know, what, and, and the fact that she was elected. So the students who elected her knew, knew uh, perfectly that she was a Muslim woman with a hijab, but it, it wasn't, it didn't matter to them. And the way she's been, you know, at the center of the attention for the only fact that she was a visible uh, Muslim woman was insane. And most of her, uh, you know, um, of the people who criticized her, criticized her were from the left. Like there was, it started from the left and it was, it was, all it was, uh, um, and it was amplified by people from the left and in, uh, um, uh, including people who uh, created uh, SOS Racism. So yeah. SOS Racism, which is a, a historical organization, anti-racist organization that was created by the French government. So, of course, an organization created by the French government, you can guess that it really didn't tackle systemic racism or institutional racism. But it was like the mainstream face of anti-racism in the, in the 80s. And several figures of that organization has been uh, some of the vehicles of um, Islamophobia in France. Mm. That's that's really interesting because I think that um, we often separate Islamophobia from the wider conversation on racism. And I wonder whether when we focus on whiteness and structural whiteness, this doesn't allow us to see how actually it's whiteness that creates exclusionary categories, whether that's based on religion or racial identity. I mean, on that particular subject of Muslims in France, which is um, in many ways, I call it a French uh, fetish, um, uh, it's an obsession, uh, certainly, uh, particularly with how uh, Muslim women dress and, and Muslim women behave, um, including Muslim women's sexual behaviors, uh, you know, now with these calls to um, ban virginity tests, which apparently hardly ever happen anyway, but we have to make sure that, you know, everybody is, is having sex the French way. 
whatever that means. Um, tell me, what what do you make of this obsession? Where do you think it comes from? Um, it, do you see a relationship to structural whiteness within that? Of course, because it's, uh, um, to me, the debate um, is all about how um, you should display your body in order to be acceptable. So it has to do with um, Islamophobia and with the idea that as a French woman, you should not, shouldn't hide yourself. And it's interesting because I've seen a French journalist, uh, his name is Jean Quatremer, so he works for, for uh, Liberation. And he, he tweeted something about, uh, you know, being um, annoyed by uh, the fact of seeing uh, hijabi women in the, in, the, in, the, in the public sphere because they were implicitly saying that they would never have sex with non-Muslim men. And I was oh, like... Devastating what? for him. <laughs> and I was like, so you think that women who don't have a hijab would have sex with you? Like, oh yeah, good, good point. Good point. <laughs> it's like I think that many men have the idea that uh, you know all the women are accessible, and if you explicitly have a sign that is interpreted, uh, that they interpret as you know, you know, stop it, you have no no chance for you know for accessing me, they are frustrated because, and that's one of the of the leverage of of the of that's one of the expressions of the sexism in France, like every woman in the public sphere should be accessible. And if, you know, unless she she says, you know, unless she shows, she shows something else. And it's, 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 I think that, the, that it's the, it's part, partly, it's, um, and, and uh, as, you know, a respectable French woman, you should, you know, be a woman in the French way. So it's, to me, one of the, the manifestation manifestations of whiteness because there is a very gen gendered way of uh, you know um of accepting uh, the, the, the 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 way uh, french women should be should be should behave in the in the public sphere Mm. And actually, you know who made me think of this in an interesting way recently is the French uh, musical artist Isolde. Uh, if anyone yeah. doesn't know who she is, you should definitely look her up. But she has uh, a beautiful uh, video uh, for one of her songs called Corps, which means body, which caused a lot of controversy in France, right? Because a lot of people were not used to seeing a... Uh, black woman's body on display, which didn't conform, I suppose, to uh, particularly notions that women have to be thin, which I think in France is very strong, actually. Yes. Uh, it's strong mm -hmm. everywhere, but it's particularly strong in France. Um, do you see a connection there, or uh, the way that the, the way that, that I'm suggesting, which is that uh, the control over women's uh, bodies and particularly minoritized women's bodies is an extension of both, uh, I guess, a meeting point for uh, whiteness and I suppose a gendered uh, form of uh, whiteness. Yes, there is um, a very, um, you know, you don't have m many rooms to, to, to move in when you are uh, a woman in France. And it's true that there is a pressure about uh, being thin that is, that is really higher than uh, anywhere else. I think that I've read something saying that uh, French women were 
you know, some of the thinnest uh, women in the world. And it didn't surprise me. There is, um, you know, much pressure. And it's like, you know, you have this idea of uh, La Parisienne, the Parisian, the Parisian woman. And it's the stereotype of the white, thin, uh, uh, wealthy uh, woman. And uh, it's something that um, don't really allow other types of women to be visible and to express themselves and not to be ashamed of who they are. Uh, so it's, uh, I think that's what happened to Isert as, you know, being a, a black woman who is not slim, uh, is really the expression of, uh, who, you know, how dare you? And it's the same for, for example, for your hair. Um, there was uh, Sibet Ndiaye, who used to be the spokesperson for the government uh, and who is also a black woman. She, uh, for her first, I think, once uh, she was appointed for her, some of her first uh, speech speeches, she appeared with her Afro hair, and uh, the response was crazy. <laughs> like it was, it was insane. There was so much. There was so many neg negative response. Like people saying that she didn't respect France with her hair. She should, you know, um, you know, she should appear differently have and and actually as as a, as a black woman people expect you to have um straightened hair and mm. not to not to disturb the white standards so mm -hmm. if you if you don't you know people would be like how dare you like not only you're you know you you're black we accept you you should at least not, you know, appearing in a way that would be too disturbing for, you know, the, the, the white standards. And, and in uh, kind of going deep into this concept of whiteness in relation to what you're talking about, do you think that that's rooted in maybe a fear of a, of a displacement of white standards, which have so long dominated in every sphere, including beauty standards and the idea that actually there are other ways to be beautiful, but if you know, if we start to accept them, it could dislodge the supremacy of one particular group, in this case, white peoples? Yes, I think that supremacy operates in uh, several different um, uh, ways. And uh, the fact of saying that your body as a dominant group, as the white group, is the standard, is very oppressive to the others, but it's also a way to perpetuate your power. So... Um, having for so long only white people being visible in the public sphere, especially in fashion, on TV, in films, and it's still um, the, the the majority uh, that you see, is not only sends a message to people who don't look like the standards and who will, you know, spend their life uh, their lives trying to meet the standard and, you know, m spend so much money, so much energy, so much of their mental health in order to have straight hair, to change the shape of their eyes, to, uh, to, 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 to make their, 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 their skin uh, fairer and, and so on and so on. And it's it's uh, also uh, a diversion, you know, because you know when you're you spend so much time trying to conform to to the norm, you don't do what you're supposed to do to, you know, just to be to 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 run your career or some you know or whatever. Mm, and yeah. uh, yes, sorry. No, no. So so can I push you on on this point because I think whenever we 
criticize um well particularly minorities in france when you're critical of uh the authorities when you're critical of power uh, as you said earlier you get this response which i think uh, i don't know if it was coined by nicolas sarkozy but it was definitely uh, one of his uh, preferred catchphrases uh, la france tu l'aimes ou tu la quittes in other words you either love france as we define it or you or you can bugger off <laughs> which is the statement and you've written a book entitled france either you love it or you shut it, um, which is a, a play on that. Um, can you tell us a bit about the book and why you wanted to write that in reference to this play on words? Yes, it was um, actually related to a very personal experience. I, it, it, and it, it also um, uh, echoes what we were saying at the beginning of the, um, the, the podcast, because, um, you know, I have the feeling that um, what I'm expected to to show when I'm when I go public is gratitude like I should be happy for being uh, on TV for being you know visible for being on radio and you know since I'm there nobody you know most of the people don't want me to be to express criticism towards friends and what I hear is that when you are a minority as I am you have two options Either you love friends or you don't say anything. You shut up. Mm, and that was yeah. the, the, the play on words on the title of my book because, you know, you expected as a minority to be happy to be there and not to... And because people would always... I, I, I just had that controversy lately. Um, um, I <laughs> discovered um, in a radio interview there was a debate, a radio debate, and... Uh, one of the listeners of the radio called. It was a debate about me, and um, and wow. one of the listeners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's like <laughs> let's you debate know. a a journalist. Uh, yeah, that's insane. But sorry, go go ahead. And the listener, you know, she called and she said, "Oh, um, so uh, Miss uh, Miss uh, uh, Diallo, she." Uh, she knows she's she 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 has degrees. She's been you know she travels the world. She gives conference everywhere in the world, and she should be happy because without friends she should be she would be in Africa with fifteen kids, uh, with um, uh, thirty kilos uh, uh, um, in addition, uh, and uh, she would uh, wait for her husband to uh, to 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 visit her uh, among her his uh, four other wives. Oh, wow. Can I just say, as horrific as it is to listen to that, I'm so glad you shared it because I sometimes fear, fear that Anglo-Saxon audiences do not hear the violence of the French debates and you really captured it in sharing that with us. Um, so sorry, please go yeah, on. Of course, yes, it was it was so shocking. And the most shocking thing was that all the people all around the table were just listening to her, to her, like as if she was speaking about, you know, the weather or something. And at the end, uh, one of the uh, one of one of the um, the panelists smiled, the uh, woman, and she said, you know, you just proved that there is no systemic racism in France. And I was like, what? <laughs> Uh, like because and 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 there is always this idea that you should be happy to be here because you, you your destiny would have been so much worse in Africa, which is not even true. But like that, there is this idea of trying to 
to diminish you, to humiliate you, to say that everything that you have, your language, your social status is 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 um is um something uh, that you got uh, thanks to France. And you know, it's not even true. If it was true, everybody would have the same degrees as as I do have and would have had the same journey. So you don't you know you don't get a package of Frenchness with uh, you know degrees and whatever you have once you're French. So it's it's to me. It's a mix. It was since we're speaking about whiteness. It was a white woman who was frustrated to see a black woman um, being more successful, you know, in the capitalist uh, criteria than she was, and she 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 needed to say that I was not um, that I, I was worth less than she was. So mm. the reason why I, I had that stat that status that she didn't have was friends it couldn't be myself or my parents or my family or you know and if it it had to be friends because it was not uh, uh bearable to her to have a black woman having that status what she what what she didn't have it mm. and i mean ultimately the point is that for every rokaya diallo who is incredibly successful and um with the degrees that you have there are also many people uh of Uh, black and Arab and Muslim backgrounds who are not succeeding in France um, and overly represented, in fact, amongst the uh, lower educational standard schools, um, in uh, lower paid jobs, uh, in poorer neighborhoods. Um, so it, it's interesting that all of that is erased uh, because one Rokeya has come to has, mm -hmm. come, has come through. And I always think that that's a very useful function in whiteness to Uh, display, uh, you know, what I call visual diversity, uh, which, which you know, uses the presence of, of one black or brown person on a panel to uh, claim that this is suddenly uh, an, an anti-racist conversation. Uh, or yeah, it, it, yeah. I totally agree. It, it's, it's like picking me as an example of how France is not racist, is just, you know, dishonest, like, because um, I consider myself because my family is from a, you know, I'm from a working class background and I consider myself as a sociological accident because, you know, if things uh, happened in the way they would have uh, happened normally, I wouldn't be there. And, uh, and the thing is that I'm still in 2020, one of the few black journalists on the French TV. So that's, you know, you couldn't, you, you can't say that like that black woman is the, the 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 proof that there is no racism in France because you can name me you can name all of us and we're not that many and mm -hmm. even if I include other minorities like North Africans people from North African background uh, people from Asian background like there is no one there there, there is no one and uh, especially in my my kind of journalism so you have presenters but you don't have uh, you don't have journalists who bring opinions you know, what we call editorialist in France, I think that, you know, I must be the only one or maybe there are some others, but on the mainstream mainstream channels, you don't have them because, you know, you're considered, uh, you know, you, the media give rooms to, um, to journalists uh, to give their opinions 
once they are considered have you know as being old enough or you know having enough prestige you know uh, to to have their opinions being valued so mm. she it, it's yeah it's it's um it's easy people always do that they do that they, you you do prove that there is no racism how can you say that there is racism since you have done su such and so and i'm like <laughs> and as a black journalist i know that that uh you know having made uh, what i face i still face racism even being there i can have that woman that nobody knows who can go public and you know say that about me so that means that i still face racism even being you know in in the place i am now mm, mm. and then being used as some kind of a, an argument to to try and undermine it that's that's really yeah i mean i think that's very symptomatic of, of where the the debate is at in france um i, I want to touch on laicite if you don't mind because laicite um is a cornerstone of french identity um it's essentially a french take on secularism um i think there's a lot of attempts to try and present it as a lot more confusing than it actually is um, but essentially, it's rooted in the 1905 law, which separates the church and state. You know, France is a, a country that uh, has a, a very pivotal revolution, which overturned the relationship between church and state um, in order to uh, protect the rights, uh, at least in theory, of everyone to exercise their religion. And yet, laïcité today in France is a hugely contested uh, conversation, right? Um, how do you see the relationship between whiteness and laïcité in France? That's a very interesting question because I think that there is laïcité as it's um, written in the law and people who speak about laïcité but in fact who are perpetrating white supremacy because to me some people because as you said, laïcité is, is, is the fact that there is a, a separation between uh, religions and the state and that everybody should be uh, free, uh, should have freedom of, um, of belief. So, and the state is there to protect anyone who tries to express belief, beliefs, whether they believe in something or not. So that's the meaning of laïcité. But what some people say is that uh, laïcité is um, the, the public space being neutral and people not expressing their religion publicly. But, you know, when you are, for example, even an observing Catholic, you, nobody can, can tell because, you know, the way you, you, your um, religion displays itself isn't visible. So it's supposed, you know, it's, it's supposed to, to be, to, to, um, to to be something that applies to anyone but people who are visibly religious are not people who are christian so it's yeah. it's uh, so they set the standards according to what is uh, um to the expression of religion of the majority mm. and you know you don't see my religion because you know i'm christian you don't see my religion so you should do the same but what does it mean? It means that your way of expressing your religion, if you are visibly Muslim, for example, if you are a woman, if you have a hijab, uh, is uh, not uh, cannot be labeled uh, as neutral. And there is this attempt to erase more and more, uh, you know, any expression of religion in the public sphere. And uh, to me, that way of using and you know, changing the meaning, the very meaning of laïcité 
is um, is is a way to perpetuate um, the, the 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 to to perpetuate racism. Mm. Mm-hmm. And interesting that you uh, mentioned, obviously, if you're a practicing Catholic in France, uh, you know, my, my dad is French and we recently had a, a Galette des Rois uh, ahead of the Epiphany, which uh, is uh, celebrated in France. Uh, we see it in the bakeries at Christmas. The town halls will be decorated uh, with Christmas decorations. Of course, the holidays are built around Christmas and Easter. So if you're actually a practicing Catholic, there's a lot about the way France is built, which which works really well for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes the, the conversation, which seems weird to me, is that no one's objecting to that. We, a lot of people are just saying, that's great. Now, what about everyone else? <laughs> you know, no one's sort of saying that, they, but it has to be one or the other, right? Either laïcité is the eradication of all symbols of religion in the public sphere, in which case maybe the town hall can't use public money um, to put on a nativity play. Um, But, uh, you know, that's currently not the way that it's currently being wielded. Do you think there's uh, an instrumentalization and a a politicization of uh, the word uh, laïcité? And if so, why is that happening? Um, yes, of course, it's instrumentalized uh, by uh, the far right, by the left, by anyone who is trying to to diminish the the rights of religious minorities. And you were mentioning the way you know ho- the whole society is designed to fit to the Catholic standards, because uh, even the calendar. Uh, when you see, for example, the weather on TV, they announce. Uh, which saints will be will be celebrated tomorrow? So that's something that you know that only concerns people who believe in that uh, religion. Yeah. And yeah. the other and the, and the other thing is that, for example, many churches uh, belongs to the um, to the French history. So as a monument, as historical monuments, they can be supported financially by the state, which makes sense. Of course, I understand that, but that creates an advantage to the religion that was there first. Because obviously you don't have, except the, the, the mosque of Paris, which was built in 1926, you don't have uh, religious um, monuments which are Buddhist or, you know, uh, Hinduist or Muslim because they, they're, they, ha- they arrived more recently in France. So you have that difference of status in the culture that really plays in favor of the majority. And that is not seen as an advantage. And it's seen as the, the norm and the neutrality. And to me, that's one of the way whiteness operates. So you have advantage, you have a society and even a, an institutional, uh, an institution that is designed for you and for your needs, but you don't see it. You consider it's the norm. And uh, from that norm, you will try to erase the rights of other people. And there's a controversial law uh, being pushed through at the moment, right? The law on Republican principles, which mm-hmm. President Macron has insisted is not a text uh, against religions uh, and specifically insisted is not a text a- against Islam. Um, what do you make of it? To me, all, you know, having the, the first name, the first name of the law was the law against separatisms. And it became a law against separatism because at first, at the first place, it was it was 
uh, officially meant to also try to tackle, um, you know, the far the radical far right, the violent yeah. far right. But all those those groups disappeared from uh, the public uh, the public uh, you know discourses discourse of uh, uh, the president and of the government. So to me, that law is just meant to gain votes votes from the far right because. Um, Emmanuel Macron, to me, he has made a calcula calculation and he thinks that he has more to to gain by trying to to uh, give, um, how can I say that, give uh, uh, some, you know, some, some, you know, some, I don't know, the, the, the no. gage. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, some wages or some uh, 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 some in incentives. Yes, yeah, some incentives to the to the people to people to the people who usually vote for the far right, and is is going more and more to the right to the right um, with whatever he says. So, and and that law to me is just an instrument of um, of what has you know and the continuation of what of you know all the way the public discourse has been constructed against uh muslims those last year mm. well so do you think we need to redefine republican principles no i think we need to apply them <laughs> <laughs> because they've never been applied the republic has been um created in the time uh, when France was a colonial power. So as the Republic was uh, being installed uh, in France, um, the colony, the, you know, the, 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 the Fr France was expanding its, itself very violently um, in several continents. So there was at the same time the idea of standing for human rights, for equality, and the, the idea of um, attacking other populations in the name of the Republic. So to me, there is there has always been a discrepancy between what is promoted and what is done. Mm, interesting. Um, and, and so I'm, I know we're running out of time, but I, I really want to ask you one question about uh, what's been happening with the BLM movement in France, which obviously has been, there have been huge BLM movements, Black Lives Matter movements in France. And more recently, we saw uh, the assault of French music producer Michel Zéclair by four police officers, uh, which raised concerns yet again around police brutality. Um, how significant is this problem? And is it one that President Macron um, is really taking on board? Uh, yes, police brutality has been a problem for a long time. When uh, George Floyd was assassinated in May, it was a major shock uh, all around the world and also in France. But the way it was covered by the French media uh, implied that it was something that was very exotic to us, like, oh my God, in the US, they are so violent against minorities. So that some local um, uh, collectives against police brutality decided to draw the attentions of the public about what was happening here. And especially the Comité Adama, who was created in 2016 after the death of Adama Traoré in the hands of um, the gendarme, which is the police that depends from the military. Um, so he was a young black uh, man and he died uh, 
for a reason that is still unclear. And the family has been struggling for justice for four years now, and they decided to say, hey, it's the moment just to to um, to to push, you know, to, to organize a protest against police brutality in France. And it didn't like Black Lives Matter in France didn't happen from no from nothing. It happened because there have been that collective who was uh, mobilizing people for for four years, but also other organizations who were working on the ground for such a long time about what was happening in France. And and George Floyd just created a moment for people to finally listen to them. But it was something that was here for a long time. There was already a march, uh, a march against racism in 1983 in France, which was a march uh, against racism and for equality, la marche contre le racisme et pour l'égalité, enfin pour l'égalité contre le racisme. Um, and it was created, it was started uh, by Tumi Jaija because it was the victim of police brutality. And Tumi Jaija is from Algerian background. So police brutality has affected uh, not only black people in France, but also people from North African de de descent um, in a very, very um, serious way for a long time. And it took George Floyd to die to um, to make people finally understand what was going on. And regarding Michel Zecler, you know, I'm, 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 it, it was horrendous. I'm glad that people understand how violent and how how there can be no reason for people beating uh, up a black uh, man so but the thing is that Michel Zecler happened to be a music producer and is someone who is very who 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 um who speaks very clearly mm. and I was I was kind of sad to see that it it had to be a man uh who is very educated who has probably has degrees I don't know but who is, who can um, express his um, his um, suffering very clearly to make to people believe him? If that had happened to you know a teenager who was 15 or a migrant who couldn't speak French, nobody would have you know be so um, touched by what what by what he was saying. And you know he was his Michael Z uh, Michel Zecler lives in the 17th um, district of Paris, which is mostly wealthy so it was someone who was respectable in on all points and and that's the part of myself who is frustrated because people needed to have a respectable black man a very um very good in 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 uh, in, uh, in all spread expression to finally say oh my god police brutality can be so unfair but yeah. it happens all the time without cameras and to people who are not able to speak about what they're experiencing in such in, in in the same way? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I fully fully hear that. I think for those who don't know, Michel Zecler is uh, a very well known uh, music producer. I think he he has you know, um, if not a million, uh, a lot of a lot of followers on on Instagram. He works with a lot of young musical artists, um, and he's I think a man in his forties, like you say, very established. Um, you know, so so this was this I think particularly shocking in 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 the sense that as you say. Um, the arbitrary nature of what happened to him, I think, felt, or perhaps not that arbitrary, actually, when we when we understand the way that police brutality functions. What do you see? Do you see a connection between whiteness and police brutality in France? 
Yes, because it's the it's a way of policing bodies in the streets. Like police is just uh, there, not just. But when you you know, if you are a young man uh, perceived as black or Arab, you are twenty times more likely to be checked by the police than any other groups. So that means that you are your body is policed. Like you are constantly checked because you're not supposed to be there, or you need to be reminded that uh, you're not welcome. And to me, it's like there is, of course, an expression of whiteness because white people can do whatever they want to do. They're not, you know, they're not stopped in their uh, journey by the police. But if you are a young uh, Arab or young black and you know that, you know, every every step that every step that you make, you, you are likely to face the police for no reason. It changes the way you perceive yourself and your sense of freedom because you're not free anymore to do just to 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 enjoy the public space in in a way you know white people don't even think and I was I was very interested when when that bidding happened to Michel Zecler, my colleagues so I work for RTL which is a rather um, conservative radio and so my colleague they come they came to me they were they were like oh my god it happens and I I was like I've I've told you that for 10 years and they were they were touched because they could identify with Michel Zecler because he belonged to the same social class as them and mm-hmm. that was very sad that was very sad yeah, that's yeah. The the, the class element of uh, identification is is an interesting one. Look, I know we're coming to an end, so I've got three quick fire questions for you, if that's okay. Um, yes. Is whiteness a useful conceptual tool in conversations on anti-racism, in your opinion? Yes, to me, it's uh, it's very important because um, j- speaking only about minorities really um, miss misses the point. Whiteness is, is is central to racism, and it's been created in order to dominate. So we need to to speak about the dominance and their tools to perpetuate uh, to perpetuate actually their their dominance. What should white people in anti-racism movements be cautious about? Uh, about denying the the experience of minorities, like you know, questioning all the time what they experience and. And thinking that you know you, you 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 know you can speak about racism without studying it, it's something that happens all the time. And like saying I don't believe it, it's racist. If you're white and you don't experience racism, and if you haven't studied it, how can you say you, that you don't think it's not it's not a matter of thought. It's a matter of experience and of work of um, research. Is there such a thing as a post-racial world in your view? Uh, maybe in the future, but for now, mm, I don't think so because racism is uh, rooted in history and it's a very long history. It's uh, centuries of history that, uh, ex- that you know, really uh, created uh, racism in order to expand capitalism. So, you know, you can really spe- think about dismantling racism without uh, questioning or even dismantling, capital, dismantling capitalism because it comes, racism co- comes also from the idea of exploiting other human beings. Mm. Um, what's next from you, uh, Rogeo? Where can people who might be listening to this, who want to watch you, listen to you, find you? Uh, they can find me on my Instagram. So it's my name, Rokaya uh, Diallo. 
or on Twitter, I'm also at Rokaya Diallo in one word. And I have my documentary, Où sont les Noirs? So Acting While Black, which will be aired on TV5 Monde. So I know it's international. So if you got that channel, you should be able to to uh, to watch it. And I'm working on a, another documentary that should be released in the in the spring. I hope so. <laughs> Fantastic. We look forward to that. Uh, Rokaya Diallo, thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you for listening to this episode of We Need to Talk About Whiteness. Please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and join us next time for more conversations on whiteness. Thanks.